Following is a talk given by His Holiness Jaya Pataka Swami Maharaj on October 30th, 1983 in Honolulu, Hawaii. The topic of the class was one must have a spiritual concept. Today we are reading from the sacred book called Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita, which is considered to be the most elevated esoteric book on spiritual life. This is a pastime about a Bengali poet who came to visit Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to tell him a poem about Lord Jagannath. Lord Jagannath is Deity on the right side here in the altar is a dynamic transcendental form of Lord Krishna because another story how he got that form. He's especially worshipped originally in Jagannath Puri in Orissa in this particular form. So this poet came to glorify Lord Jagannath with a poem and he wanted Lord Chaitanya to hear it first. I mean, to hear it, but Lord Chaitanya, he had a rule that he wouldn't hear any poetry unless his secretary heard it and cleared it that it was philosophically correct. Because if Lord Chaitanya heard a philosophically incorrect poem or literary work, he found it greatly disturbing to him, consciousness, to hear something which was incorrect. So, the secretary, Sarup Damodar, of Lord Chaitanya, is asking this poet, all right, so you read out your poetry. Now, the poetry is written in Sanskrit. His poetry was, Vikacha Kamala Netre Si Jagannatha Sangye Kanakaruchiri hat maniat matam ya prapannaha prakriti jarama sesham chetayan avirasit sadisatu tavavavyam krishna chaitanya devaha. Translation The Supreme Personality of Godhead has assumed a golden complexion and has become the soul of the body named Lord Jagannath whose blooming lotus eyes are widely expanded. Thus he has appeared in Jagannath Puri and brought dull matter to life. May that Lord Sri Krishna Chaitanya Deva bestow upon you all good fortune. And when everyone heard the verse, they all commended the poet, but Sarup Damodar Goswami, the secretary of Lord Chaitanya. Lord Chaitanya is the founder of the Hare Krishna movement. His uh, 
form is there in the very center with his arms raised. He is accepted as Krishna himself, as the Supreme Godhead who came 500 years ago on this planet in the form, in the, in the disguise of a devotee to give uh, humanity and give the world this most sublime process of yoga, the sublime process, how to achieve complete perfection in life. So, his secretary, Sri Damodar Goswami, asked that poet kindly explain this verse. Kavi kohi jagannatha sundara sarir, chaitanya gosai sariri mahadir. The poet said, Lord Jagannath is the most beautiful body, and Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who is exceptionally grave, is the owner of that body. Report of Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, whose form is here, the founder who brought the Iskan Hare Krishna movement to the West. He's giving his explanation. Sariri in Sanskrit refers to a person who owns the sarir or body. As stated in Bhagavad Gita, Dehino smin jata dehe komaram jovanam jara tatha dehamsara praptir dhira takta namulati. The translation is as the embodied soul continually passes in this body. From boyhood to youth to old age, the soul similarly passes into another body at death. The self-realized soul is not bewildered by such a change. Bhagavad Gita, chapter 2, verse 13. For the ordinary living being in material existence, there is a division or distinction between the body and the owner of the body. In spiritual existence, however, there is no such distinction, for the body is the owner himself, and the owner is the body itself. In spiritual existence, everything must be spiritual. Therefore, there is no distinction between the body and its owner. So, this is already a clue from this purport that the poet was, he was in the wrong that an ordinary person possesses the body. Each one of us have a body. The body and the consciousness, which is a symptom of the living force in the body, they're different. We are actually the living force or the soul or the dynamic consciousness in the body. When we leave the body, the body is considered dead. When we're present, it's considered alive. And the body is just like a vehicle. So in the material life, this duality is there. There's a gross body, there's a psyche or mental body, and then there's the spiritual reality. So every body has a soul. That's the way normally people, but it's actually the other way around. Every soul has a body in material life. And liberation means to be freed from the material body and to actually have experience of one's own original spiritual body or spiritual existence. So, in spiritual life, 
There is no difference between the spiritual body and the person himself. So when they are saying that Jagannath, Krishna, the deity, has got a soul different, it's kind of equating the deity of Krishna to be like the situation of an ordinary, material, conditioned human being, which is a great offense for for anyone to say that about uh, a spiritually situated, liberated person, what to speak of the Supreme Person. So everybody was so happy to hear this uh, poet because they didn't really catch all the inner meaning. But Sarup Dhamadar, he was very angry. And what did he say? You are a fool, he said. You have brought ill fortune upon yourself for you have no knowledge of the existence of the two lords, Jagannatha Deva and Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, nor have you faith in them. Lord Jagannath is completely spiritual and full of transcendental bliss, but you have compared him to a dull, destructible body composed of the inert, external energy of the Lord. This body is inert matter. There's no consciousness of its own. The consciousness is there because of the presence of the soul. So, in this poem, where he said Jagannath's soul is Lord Chaitanya, his idea was something just like an ordinary body has a soul, has a consciousness. Like that, Lord Chaitanya is somehow the soul of Lord Jagannath. So by saying that, he is kind of comparing Jagannath to an ordinary materialistic person, which is a great offense. In this regard, Prabhupada has explained that if one thinks that the form of Lord Jagannath is an idol made of wood, he immediately brings ill fortune into his life. According to the direction of the Padma Purana, Arche Vishnu Shiladhi Yasya Va Narki Sa. Thus, one who thinks that the body of Lord Jagannath is made of matter and who distinguishes between Lord Jagannath's body and soul is condemned, for he is an offender. A pure devotee who knows the science of Krishna consciousness makes no distinction between Lord Jagannath and his body. He knows that they are identical, just as Lord Krishna and his soul are one and the same. When one's eyes are purified by devotional service, performed on the spiritual platform, one can actually envision Lord Jagannath and his body as being completely spiritual. The advanced devotee, therefore, does not see the worshipable deity to have a soul within a body like an ordinary human being. There is no distinction between the body and soul of Lord Jagannatha. For Lord Jagannath is Satchit-Ananda. That means eternal blissful knowledge. Vigraha, with form. Just as the body of Krishna is Satchit-Ananda Vigraha, there is actually no difference between Lord Jagannath and Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, but the ignorant poet from Bengal applied a material distinction to the body of Lord Sri Jagannath. So, 
These are very secret, confidential subject matter about the transcendental science. Of course, normally people are very interested in hearing simply about the physical side of life. And there are many, even so-called spiritualists, who provide more information on matter and don't go into the spiritual side very deeply because the people are not normally very interested. They don't want to lose any customers. You see, but this Society for Krishna Consciousness is uh, dedicated to the purpose of trying to enlighten the human beings, trying to provide this avenue for them to understand what are the actual mysteries behind life. So actually, it's not difficult to understand the science of spiritual life, if somebody chants Hare Krishna, if somebody associates with the devotees, takes the spiritual food, the gradually the consciousness can comprehend these things. If a person is very intelligent, he can comprehend. But there are some who, in spite of hearing again and again, they still remain amazed. They remain confused. What is it all about? It's not very difficult to understand. Just like an automobile has a driver, that this body has a driver that's the living force. That's who we are. But we are part of Krishna. Krishna is the sum total of everything, plus he's an individual. He's both. How is that possible? That's inconceivable. But that's the nature of God. He's inconceivable. So, in our temples, we worship the forms of Krishna as deities, as worshipable deities. These are not idols. An idol means that you imagine something and you make a picture of it or an idol of it, a statue, and then you worship. Just like in the Bible, they just made some golden calf and start worshiping it. It's speculation. It's not anywhere described, but in the Vedas it describes that Krishna was on this planet, he looked in, uh, in this way, and that if you make a form of Krishna following these dimensions and these proportions and this basic description, and if you have an installation ceremony where you call Krishna to be present as the deity, and from that time you treat the deity just as Krishna is there. Krishna actually is there. He reciprocates with the devotee. And each deity form of the Lord is not considered to be some statue, idol, or a symbol, but to be directly Krishna himself. Why he appears to be made out of stone or wood, 
Of course, originally our form is made out of stone or wood. But then Krishna is invited to come into that deity and then actually he be, that deity becomes, or Krishna, he just expands himself as that deity by type of transcendental process. So, there are many, many pastimes or histories about devotees having specific interchanges and relationships with deities. The deity, although Krishna is one, but each deity is known as having Lila Boichitra. Lila Boichitra is a technical term which means each of them have their own personal activities which are different than others. So, for instance, on the right, Jagannath, Subhadra, Balaram deities, in each temple there we have these deities in maybe hundred temples around the world. And a devotee can come and offer prayer. When we talk to the deity, we call it a prayer. But this, in effect, it's just talking to the deity, making some presentation, either request or humility or whatever it may be. And the deity hears those prayers and in many ways answers them. Now, there was a great devotee of this deity, original deity in India. His name was uh, uh, Ganguly, Jogesh Ganguly. Now, he was 500 years, this happened 500 years ago, at the time when Lord Chaitanya was in Jagannath Puri, and he wanted to go to Jagannath Puri and be able to visit the temple. But he, unfortunately, he was blind. In those days, they didn't have jumbo jets. They didn't have automobiles. They had walking and horse riding. He couldn't afford a horse. They had to walk 500 miles to go to that temple. He was ready to do it, but no one wanted to take him. It's a 500 miles to lead a blind man. is no joke. So everybody would tell him, yes, yes, I'll take you. But then when it came time to go, no one would show up. No one would. So then he was crying and crying, nobody's taking me. And he was crying that I won't be able to go to the temple. So then that night, in a dream, the deity appeared to him and said that, all right, I'm very pleased with your devotion. You don't have to go. I am coming to you. Tomorrow when you go bathing in the Ganges, you'll find a big log. You have that pulled out of the water and you'll take it to such and such a carpenter who is a leper. And he will carve my form, my brother, my sister, Jagannath Subhadra Balaram, his three deities on the far right. And you worship those right here. And that's as good as you're going 500 miles to Jagannath. I'll be with you here. He woke up and it was still dark. Of course, for him it doesn't make a difference because he's blind. <laughs> for him it's always dark. 
but for everyone else, they probably were still sleeping. But so he went down to the Ganges and took his bath. And there he found that uh, some log was touching his body, it had come downstream. So then he called some other people. He had to go and wake people up out of the village, tell them, please come and help me. He got the people up and got them to pull the log out of the river and take it to this carpenter. So then he asked the carpenter that you please make Jagannath Subhadra Balaram deities. You make a Jagannath deity. The carpenter said, no. I won't make these deities for you. You must make these deities. He says, no, I'm a leper. I'm, I'm dirty. I've got disease. If I make a deity is the most sacred thing, you're going to uh, install that as a worshipable deity. How I got pots and all type of disease and rotten flesh, how can I make a deity? I won't do it. I'll go to hell if I do it. For the offense, go to someone else. He said, listen, the Lord came to me in a dream. He told me that you're the one to do it. No, I won't do it. You doubting me that is I any I have any motive? No, I don't I don't doubt you, but I know that it'll be an offense to me. Well, listen, I take the full responsibility if there's any offense. Will you take the full responsibility of disobeying? The order of Krishna is, in fact, this is his order. I am taking the full responsibility if there's any offense whatsoever. Will you take the full responsibility to disobey this instruction? I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> so then he started to work and, and carve the deity. But as he was working, then he gradually his hands were, everything was, you know, rotten. And I don't know, in India sometimes, in America, they might, they have a few cases, but they keep it well hidden. I mean, they take in the hospitals and cure it. It's not a fatal thing anymore, in most cases. But in India, you see them sometimes. I mean, they, they just literally, it starts to just fall off. It limbs, anyway. So this uh, carpenter was working with his stubs and everything, and you know, it was uh, started to be very painful. Every time he'd hit, it would be hurting and paining so much. Somehow, he finally was coming. When he finally did the last hit, the last carving, finished the deity, he became completely cured. Then, there was a big festival. These deities were bathed and installed, and that Brahman, he was worshipping them, held by his son. He was blind, so hard to, but he was helped by his other family members, and he was there every day chanting Hare Krishna before those deities. And, of course, he passed away, and then his son kept up the worship, and like this, it was going down from generation to generation. Well, after the passing of a few, of a couple of centuries, gradually they started to reduce the level of worship. Just like in our temple, we do a full schedule from morning 4.15 until evening about 9.30. 
with eight different offerings and what we call aritis, there's the ceremonies and bathings and all type of deity worship is what it's called, archana. Just as one would do to a, an actual person, you feed him and bathe him, let him rest, wake him up, everything. The deity is treated just as, as Krishna himself. So when they started reducing the number of things from six a day, six ceremonies to five, four, three, two, one a day. Finally they reduce it to one a week, once every two weeks, once a month on the full moon day. Then finally they reduced it to once a year. On the one day of the year which was a bathing ceremony, they would give a special worship. And the rest of the year they just didn't pay any attention. Then one year, you know what happened? They forgot that day also. This was maybe about 80 to 100 years ago. The population of that town today is four. Everyone was killed by the plague. And the four that lived there, they don't, they're from people that have moved from outside, so they are devoted. I'll tell you about that later. So 80 years ago, the Brahmana had come and was looking for these ancient deities of Jagannath. He was a descendant from another line, from another, you know, mother's side. So, he was looking and looking, couldn't find anywhere. He saw in the, there was a big forest there and there was a big ant pile of white ants, termites. They dug within there and there in the middle they found these three deities. Now these deities are normally made out of wood. Those were made out of wood. But just as the scripture is saying that although it may appear to be made out of wood, but actually the deities are transcendental. So especially in the case of those deities, which are self-manifested deities, they came on their own accord. They weren't, they, they didn't, they were, they voluntarily came. They hadn't been touched. So those deities were again the established in a temple and they were being worshipped. And four years ago, the grandson of the person 80 years ago found these deities. We found him. He approached us at Mayapur, the world headquarters of the Hare Krishna movement, and said that he had a dream that these deities said to give the deities to be worshipped by the International Society for Krishna Consciousness, and that he was going to not live very long, he felt. So, I mentioned this to the world body of devotees and they agreed that we should take over this very ancient temple, 500 years old. You see, this place, this temple here in Hawaii is known as Nunavadweepa. Just like you have New York, New Orleans, New Hampshire, so on and so forth. We have Nunavadweepa. Because the original Navadweep, 21 people had to sign to give the land deed over to us. So 20 people had signed 
one person hadn't signed yet. His share was not even one percent. It wasn't even a tenth of a percent. It didn't have a decimal point. It was so small. But as a thing, he could still cause us trouble if he didn't sign it over. So, the pujari, pujari means the worship person, the devotee who does the worship for the deity. That's a special type of service that a person does after three, four years of training in the Hare Krishna movement, maybe minimum two years, normally two and a half to three years, minimum, a person can do deity worship and be called, become a pujari. So we have a devotee there, he's been in Pujari for about nine years. He's been in the Hare Krishna movement for, say, about twelve years. He's six foot six. His wife is six foot one. They're from England. And uh, this is a matter of very, very nice person, wonderful devotee. So he, went, he came to me and said that, because I told that until every last person signs over the deed, we don't want to begin the deity worship because once you begin, you should never stop. And in case they cause any trouble and we still haven't finished the legalities, then uh, better to let them sign and we'll begin our, we'll begin. Because once we begin to worship the deity, we won't stop. So he came to me and said that about four or five days later after I said that, he came to me and made a confession. This is about a year and a half ago. He said that he was worshipped, that he didn't hear my instruction, he didn't know about it, he just went ahead and started worshipping the deities because he knew they weren't being taken care of, there just no one was feeding them. So he started bringing over food uh, or we make special yogic food and we offer that. So he was bringing these offerings over to Jagannath the deity and offering them according to our process for about three days. And then he heard that I gave this instruction that no one should begin the worship. He came and he said he came to me to admit that when he heard that he suddenly stopped doing it. Because he realized that he made a mistake, he shouldn't have begun. So he stopped it for about two days. The second day, in that evening, I don't know if I should say, but just for the sake of explain, that he had a dream. In the dream, he was going to the temple, he opened the door to see the deities. When he went to open the door to see the deities, the deities were gone. The temple room was empty, just like he opened his door telling them nothing there. Then he became frantic. Where's Jagannath gone? Where's the Krishna deity gone? He's looking everywhere. He ran out of the temple and looked. And there he saw the three deities. Of so the next day he came and saw me and said, What should I do? This happened. I said, Once you began the worship, you should never have stopped. Immediately go and take the offerings of Prashadam. With this deity alone, there are so many things which happen that it's just uncountable. There's so many things which have happened. Some deities are very active. 
And these deities, particularly of the Jagannath, are the most active. <laughs> but anyway, this I don't know if I should go on telling you about Lord Jagannath. There's, <laughs> there are so many deities, and each one of them has various pastimes. But, uh, well, this was since around the temple. For instance, uh, there was uh, one Mohammedan, every day would bring a basket full of vegetables and fruit. We asked him, why you're bringing, you're a Mohammedan, you don't normally worship Krishna deity, why you're bringing uh, offerings to Jagannath? He said that a year ago, I prayed to him to have a son, I got a son, I'm offering him. There's so many devotees like that who are coming. That's like we don't even discuss. It's unlimited. Unlimited. He's the only deity of Krishna that no matter what religion they are, Christian, Hindu, Muslim, whatever, they all go there. So before, they never used to lock the door. We asked her, why, are you locked the, why don't you lock the door? We never leave the door unlocked. They said, you don't have to with Jagannath. But... Uh, we didn't have that same idea, so we wanted to protect it. We always kept the door locked. But one time, we were doing some construction work, fixing up the, we built some walls and some, extended a place for devotees to sit. And so we uh, had about 20 bags of cement in the house next to the temple. And one night, about five hoodlums came and broke, you know, pounding on the door. The Pujari was an older man, about 55, 60. He wanted, you know, I said, give us the cement. He stole the cement and I ran off. He was in fight against five people. According to India, a bag of cement is worth more than here. It's not the biggest thing, but it was, uh, it upset the Pujari quite a lot, and it got everybody upset. We made a police case that the cement was stolen, but they couldn't. They, there's no clue. They had masks on. About a week later, there was some other incident in the village. Some crime happened. Someone was stabbed or something. Right? Some something that caused the police investigation in a nearby village. The village where this deity is, there's nobody that's called Rajapur. The only people who live there now is the Hare Krishna devotees, and one next to us is one neighbor. Otherwise, there's no other. In the map, it says Rajapur. In the old maps, it shows it had hundreds of houses, but nobody there anymore. But all around it, there's villages, thousands of people, and there's little villages all around, within you know, half a mile, one mile. It's all beautiful, all mango orchard, uh, this type of trees, these are, well this type is not a tree, it's a small bush, but they have another, they have a, they have here this, uh, what do you call pansy pansy thing? Not these, the plumeria, the other, champak tree. They have forests of champak tree, not, not, I mean not a whole forest, but they have several orchards where they have, within the orchards, some very beautiful champak tree. It's a beautiful, uh, area. So, 
Anyway, that's a little off the point. So, anyway, the police came there to investigate this totally different crime. In it, they started searching a few people's houses. It just so happened, and in the search, they walked in one house, he had 20 babies from that search. The police officer who did the investigation himself was a Mohammedan. And he knew that we had made a complaint. He said, where did you get this from that? He said, you stole it from Jagannath. In India, that police, they are, take the law in their own hands to some extent for investigation. Anyway, on the way to the police station, somehow the person tripped and broke a few bones. I don't know exactly how it happened. <laughs> Time escape or something. <laughs> and after that, that person who came, he came before Jagannath and he bowed down and he said, I'll never do this again. <laughs> There's so many things like this that happen where you know, most people can say it's coincidence or this or that. But for the devotees, there are many things that happen, direct things, some more miraculous things that, that happen also which definitely tend to establish in them a, a very direct understanding that the deity is uh, very active and uh, reciprocates with different devotees in different ways. There's one story, there's one history rather, only 400, about, well, say about 800 years ago, there was a deity that walked all the way from Vrindavan to Jagannath, near Jagannath Puri, that's called the Shakshi Gopal deity. There are, there's a story about uh, the history, just uh, 600 years ago, the great, great guru of Lord Chaitanya, he was uh, visiting a temple in north, southern Orissa, northern Orissa called Remuna, a Gopinath deity, and there, every day, they would offer condensed milk in a special recipe only known to them, to this deity. And when this great devotee came there and saw this offering of condensed milk, he thought, that, oh, how wonderful it would be if I could know how, they, how that tastes so that I could offer exactly that preparation to my deity of Krishna. And then he said, what have I done? You see, it's an offense for anyone to think about eating an offering before it's offered. After it's offered, you all feast. Today we'll all feast. Like after it's offered. But before it's offered, especially for the pujaris and the devotees, they're not supposed to think, how is it going to taste? Is it going to be, for, it's supposed to be kept, to keep the mind pure. This is an offering. This is for Krishna. You're not to think, uh, not to lust over it. But he wasn't lusting over it. He was thinking, how does it taste to offer to his deity? But he was so humble that he started to chastise himself and practically curse himself. I'm so rotten. I was lusting over that. I, I was thinking, I was thinking about eating before it was offered. It's a great offense. He went off, left the temple and he went into the market and he was just chanting, Hari Nam, Hari Krishna, Hari Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hari Hari, Hari Ram, Hari Ram, Ram Ram, Hari Hari. The whole night, in the middle of the night, the Pujari 
that deity came to him in a dream and said that you go in the temple and behind my dress I have kept one pot of condensed milk. You go and find out that devotee named Madhavendra Puri and you give him that pot of condensed milk. And then he disappeared from the dream. The Pujari woke up, he didn't know was it true, how is it possible, everything like He went into that temple, sure enough, because he couldn't, since he saw the dream, he had to go. He went into that temple, and there, sure enough, behind the dress, one pot of condensed milk had been kept by the deity. He went into the marketplace, middle of the night, dead night, and started calling out, Madhavendra Puri, Madhavendra Puri. And there Madhavendra Puri was sitting down, chanting his Hare Krishna around, feeling very bad that he had committed this offense. Which actually was an offense, but in his own humility he thought he had committed an offense. And that Pujaya explained everything to him, gave him the pot, said that this is from the deity for you. You're the most fortunate person in the world because for you the deity has stolen. Up to this day the deity is known as Kirchur Gopinath. Or the Gopinath, that means the name Krishna name of Krishna, who has stolen a part of condensed milk. Kira means condensed milk, Shura means thief. Kind of like the milk thief for Krishna. Stolen condensed milk. Like this, there are literally countless uh, pastimes which the deities directly held with the devotees. And in India, these, uh, the deities are regularly visited by literally thousands of people. Now sometimes, originally when the Christian missionaries came there, they said, oh, these are idols. Why are you people worshipping idols? And they start giving all. Because they didn't know, and, and unfortunately due to either language barrier or not meeting the right people, no one was there to explain to them that it's not an idol, it's not something they imagine. This is, a, this is, of course, there are other deities of other subordinate uh, in a, people in the universe. But as far as the Supreme Person, that uh, this is a form of the Lord which is specifically considered to be one of the five incarnations. In the Vedic literature it describes that the Supreme Being can come down in this world at his free will. And he comes in, that's known as an avatar, or a descent, or in English they normally use the word incarnation. It's not a perfect word because he doesn't actually incarnate. He doesn't become carne or meat, or he doesn't become in the flesh. He actually comes with his own spiritual uh, existence. But there's no other similar word in English, so we normally say incarnation of Godhead. But in a sense, it's, the Sanskrit word is avatar, which just means he descends as he is. So there are five different incarnations, quote unquote, of which one is the original form, one is a, a form for pastime, one is a form for a particular age, one is a empowered person, like Jesus Christ might be considered to be empowered 
incarnation. Although he's not, he's the son of God, but he's empowered. And like so many other in, in Vedic uh, civilization, great souls who are empowered by the Supreme Being, and they're known as Shaktavesh avatar, an empowered incarnation. So individual person is given divine power. The fifth is known as Archavatar, which means a deity incarnation. That the Lord comes as a deity because we don't have the eyes to see God as he is, because he's a completely spiritual entity. So he comes as a deity. We can worship him. We can meditate on him in this form. And that will be give us the same benefit as if we could see him directly. In a gradual way, we become purified and we can actually perceive that Krishna is present. Although in the beginning we only see whether it's some stone or some wood or some beautiful form, but as we chant and we start to serve that deity form, we will start to actually experience a reciprocation that Krishna is there. It's not something, it's actually a process. It's, it's described in the Vedic literature, in the Vedic scriptures. It's one of the forms of, one of the parts of the form called bhakti yoga. There's nine parts to bhakti yoga. The beginning is hearing and chanting, then remembering, then one of them is worshipping a deity. One of the nine forms of bhakti yoga. So, worshipping a deity is sometimes difficult. A person might have to know so many rules and systems and mantras and so on. So that's uh, limits uh, a lot of people from doing at least uh, very advanced levels of deity worship. So normally the chanting, of course, there's no limitation. Anyone, anywhere, anytime can chant. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. And that chanting However, qualifies the person very quickly to also worship the deity. In fact, Prabhupada once uh, recommended that if we could provide Krishna deities for every American home, they could put the deity of Krishna on top of their television set. And every day, not an installed deity like in the temple, but just a, an uninstalled deity. And even by having Krishna in their home, that would call, bring all good fortune to them. That even the people could be told, they could ask Krishna anything they wanted, and gradually Krishna would give them. I don't know how much we've been able to implement this suggestion. Hmm? So we're doing that by giving a book, which are actually one form of the deity of Krishna. Although, there's one, of, one type of deity, the book. Also, even there are some temples in India where they worship the book. They do arti to the book. And they consider that the words of Krishna and the form of Krishna are non different from Krishna. Because everything is spiritual. There's no difference. This is the difference between material and spiritual. In the material world, there's a duality. There's a difference between the body and the soul. But in the spiritual, there's no difference between the body the soul, they're all spiritual between the words of God and God himself and God's name. It's all transcendental. Even the food offered to Krishna is also transcendental. 
So I don't want to keep all of you waiting too long to serve Krishna in his food form. That's also meditation. Of course, some people might just say, well, it's good food, and just eat it. Someone else might meditate, well, this is Krishna, and try to experience what is the difference between this food and some other food? The difference would be Krishna. Say it's a spaghetti, or say it's some other a piece of bread or anything. Now, this piece of bread, everyone eaten bread in their life so many times. So then, the only difference is that this bread is offered to Krishna. So then you try to say, well, what's the difference? A little bit something different. Is there anything different in it? That little difference is uh, Krishna. Actually, as a person's senses become more purified, when they eat prasadam, they can experience ecstasy. Lord Chaitanya one time was given a, a cashew that was offered to Jagannath, to Krishna. And he took a, the cashew and he became completely filled with bliss. And he gave a cashew to the other devotees. And they all experienced this uh, transcendental elation. So then he asked them, how many of you have had a cashew in your life? Everybody had a cashew. Right? You've eaten cashew so many times. But because this cashew has got such an exquisite taste, it's such a wonderful experience, and it has filled us with such a happiness, what is the difference? Because the juice, the nectar of Krishna's lips have touched it, therefore it has a special quality. Of course, in the beginning, our senses are a bit dull due to the material nature, the hard struggle for existence. As we become more purified, then we're able to experience the higher levels of uh, reciprocation with Krishna and experience of transcendental happiness. So that's why we're trying to encourage everyone to chant Hare Krishna, to take Krishna prasadam, Actually, if anyone's interested, you don't only have to take it here on Sunday. We'll be willing to train people how to have a deity in their home, how to cook the food in a pure way and offer that by the yogic process through meditation and mantras to the Krishna deity and how to eat that food in their house. So that every day they can take prasad. Prasad means the sacred food stuff. There's a book that is being published by the Acharya of this uh, temple, Srila Rameshwar Swami Maharaj, which is called The Higher Taste. He just informed me about a special book on vegetarianism, telling not only all the materialistic and economic and other good reasons why a person should be a vegetarian, but also explaining the spiritual process of freeing food from all karma. And by eating that food, how one becomes purified and becomes uh, liberated very quickly. And even achieves uh, the complete perfection that a human being can achieve. So, as soon as that book is published, you're all invited to also read that. But if anyone's interested in setting up this type of a system in their house, there are devotees who are willing to uh, help one to do that. 
Or if someone wants to stay in the temple and learn how it's done firsthand for a short time and then go and do it in their own place, that's also a possibility. Basic ideas were simply trying to promote this process of meditation. The person can be self-sufficient in his meditation, not be dependent on material energy, just with some association of devotees, guidance of spiritual master, one can, on his own, without depending on the material nature, one can be self-satisfied practicing Krishna consciousness. Grihe tako bone tako, whether in his house, or whether in an ashram, or with a group of people. But the system says to be learned. And the basic thing, of course, is this chanting. Anyone can do that. And that will, is the same for the beginner and for the most advanced practitioner of this process of Krishna consciousness or Bhakti Yoga. So, chant Hare Krishna and be happy. Hare Krishna. Just like there are so many intellectuals that spend a lot of time reading books and studying in universities. And they may even neglect the physical body. They don't even bother really to dress super nice. And some, there are some people that are very absorbed in more intellectual pursuits. But they're very attached to their intellectualism or their mental in the sense they're attached to their subtle body and it is one example some people are very proud of their physical body much the same South America or machismo <coughs> Or for man or for woman. Then the subtle bodies is more attached to one's philosophy, outlook of life, one's mental state. So rather than being attached to the gross body or the mind, which both of them all is changing to be attached to Krishna and the spiritual existence, that is the permanent situation. That was recommended this morning. Since every deity is different, so the prasad is also slightly different. Prashad means mercy. So different deities will give different amounts of mercy. When you offer into a picture, then uh, the person offering is very important. How much faith? When you offer to install deity, then deity is more important than the person offering. 
But in essence, the prasad is what's actually offered. There's no difference, but a devotee would prefer to have the prasad offered to be. Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, According to the way a devotee approaches me, I reciprocate with him. So, that's also reciprocation. If Krishna doesn't answer someone, that means that that's a form of reciprocation. Must be some reason. Some devotees approach God and ask for something in material. That's considered to be a lower level. Someone goes and wants to get salvation. It's considered a spiritual, yet it's not a complete understanding. If someone goes and um, actually simply dedicates uh, one's existence to uh, the Supreme Personality of God, and that's considered to be completely free from all material contamination. So when a person is trained to something material, then uh, Krishna will see that uh, the person uh, gets uh, the desire satisfied completely. So that takes materially sometimes, it takes it sometimes to disorganize everything and get it to the point where the person can be completely satisfied. But he does this with this one. Any other guests have any questions? In the truth system, Bhagavad Vidhi and Sanskrit Vidhi, what we call it. So the basic idea is that whatever we do, we, we don't just do it uh, according to our own will. It's a difference between an idol and a deity. It's not that we just do something according to our own will. So just to, to keep, keep the whole process pure, so the thing of any good is a certain process has been given. This ensures that in fact the deity is properly made because in the installation then one has the person installing will check whether the deity is properly made, whether it's not broken, whether it's you know, there's different things. Now According to Bhagavad Gita, if there is a deity and if a devotee starts to worship the deity even without all the formalities of any of the ceremonies and everything, 
that uh, deities have, uh, Krishna is there just by the sheer faith of the devotee, without all the formal ritual, that also is there. And in one sense, you can hit the nail on the head. But on the Bhagavati Divi, which is the Italian Hare Krishna falls under that category, then all these things can be accommodated. is so effective. It's one of the less ritualistic uh, systems. Nonetheless, uh, our previous gurus, they have told us that we should follow the Pancharatic system as far as possible to give respect to the Vedic tradition. Although One could just take a deity and worship it as it is, but to give deference to the Vedic system, we follow the total procedure given there. And it is a very scientific procedure. If you go through it, you see that in fact, it is just... Uh, Purifying the uh, place where the deity is going to be set, purifying the room, then uh, purifying the people, the worshippers. It's all very much related to just the deity worship. And the final thing is uh, asking Krishna to stay there. Otherwise, whenever the deity is there, a pre devotee comes and worships it, then the deity is there. Then if the pre devotee doesn't worship, then the deity is not there using the same idea. But when a pre devotee requests the deity to come and stay there permanently, then there's also an obligation that his followers will have to continue the worship. So there's two types of deity, the deity which is there when they're being worshipped and the deity which is considered solving that the deity is requested to stay there permanently. So that means that the worship should go on perpetually. But in both cases, if Krishna is there, just like someone said, can we offer prasadam to a picture? A picture is one of the form of a deity, but it's an uninstalled deity. There are eight types of deities mentioned in the Vedas. A picture, deity made out of earth, made out of stone, made out of wood, made out of a jewel. A deity made out of some form of metal. A deity in the mind. In other words, if a person's mind is pure enough, you can meditate on the deity in your mind and the deity will be there. There's a story about one Brahman who was meditating and worshipping Krishna and he was in his mind cooking and doing all the worship and he didn't have the money to do a big worship. So he was listening to one class and he heard how you could do a complete worship to Krishna in your mind that was just as good. So in his meditation, he was step by step doing all the worship from morning to night. Every day he was doing it. 
day after day, go for one hour, sit down, and he'd imagine, you know, meditate in his meditation, that there is a temple, there's a deity there, he'd go in the kitchen, preparing, and offering, and the whole work in his mind, there's a meditation, for years. So in his doing that, his concentration became so great that uh, actually in his mind he had a complete temple room and a kitchen, everything was there. And he was daily coming and doing all the worship, he had assistance, the whole. So then one day, he was uh, prepared sweet rice and in his meditation he was thinking whether it's too hot or not. Let me just touch it. And so he touched the sweet rice and he burnt his finger. It broke his meditation, looked, and his finger had a big, you see, a big red mark. And he was shocked. He said, I was meditating, how my finger got done. And he was just astonished, you know, looking at his finger and trying to figure out what happened. Because in the meditation, he might have, you know, but how is it that he got, physically he was burnt. And then, Krishna, in the... Remember like that, <clears throat> finally he was taken back to Krishna, it was like a joke Krishna was playing on. He was very satisfied, he said, I'll come back. But uh, one can worship in the mind like that, there are eight types of deities one can have. So picture is one, earth, other questions? Everyone got Prashad? You got to play the you get the food? Brahma's first children, which he created, 
were known as the four Kumaras. <coughs> and they are also devoted to Krishna. So originally all the all the originally everyone was a devotee of Krishna as time goes on and gradually other type of entities come about. In this universe, Brahma is the first and the Kumara is the second. And what's Shiva? The Vedic literature was written 5,000 years ago, so in there they give a history of the world, of this planet, and they they describe different devotees of Krishna. Krishna was on the planet 5,000 years ago, but there were devotees of Krishna before that. They didn't have to be written before this. They're known as Shruti and Smriti. Shruti means spoken and Smriti means remembered. But at that time people's psychic power was so great, the mental power, that they didn't have to write everything down, they could remember it. So it was, the Guru would tell his disciple and he remember and he would tell his disciple. But as time went, as the from the period of 5,000 years ago, the Asadeva who wrote down the Vedas, he could foresee that people were not going to remember unless it's all written down. So then he compiled the works of the various philosophers and the authoritative instruction in the form of Vedic literature. First he wrote the four original Vedas, then he expanded that and wrote 108 Upanishads, then 18 Puranas, the Vedanta Sutra, and Mahabharata. And hundreds, over a million uh, verses. Yeah. Um, well, somebody wants to know about another religion we might talk about it. You're interested in Buddhism? <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. 
Buddhism we can speak more about because Buddha is an incarnation of Krishna. So we know more about Buddhism, but we kind of shy away from speaking about Christianity or Mohammedanism because it tends to be more controversial. We'd rather deal with philosophical topics. We're not dealing with the names of different types of religions, but we're dealing with spiritual concepts, spiritual ideas, spiritual ways, which are universal for all religions. No matter what religion, everyone is to uh, become purified to know God, to love God, to become free from unhappiness. So we speak about the ways that that can happen without getting into the controversy of the different names that people go by. One problem is that there really isn't anything Hinduism. Then a Hindu couldn't say what Hinduism is. Because the word is something that just came about a couple in the recent history. To denote anything that comes, they consider India Hindu is a Buddhist. A Jain, anyone, anything, any kind of religion which came from India is Hindu. In one sense. The broadest sense, that's what they say. So, in, in another sense, um, there's a difference in modern day Hindus. Basically, are following the Shankaracharyas, they're in person. They believe uh, in many gods. And Krishna Kasavi believes there's one supreme absolute truth in an impersonal, localized, and a personal form. Ultimately, the personal form is supreme. And that we are all spiritual parts of that absolute truth. So that's the basic difference is that, in general, Hinduism, as it's known today, would believe in any God. But it's really, Hinduism is just a, it's like a kind of a media name that someone came up with. And it's stuck. But there's no definition for what is Hinduism. So to say that are you are you a Hindu, or a follower of Hinduism, you have to first define what is the idea of Hinduism. You find that normally nobody can say. So if there's any difference, it's that most Hindus 
I believe in many gods, but Krishna consciousness believes in the one supreme absolute truth. But then there are many people who consider themselves Hindus who believe in Krishna consciousness in India. They believe in one supreme because in basic, the most general, anything coming from out of India is considered Hindu. They even consider Buddhists to be Hindu. In one definition. And there are literally a dozen definitions, so it really depends which one you want to go by. So the basic thing is probably say is that uh, that uh, the problem said that Hinduism, Christianity, Muhammad is a faith, and you can change your faith. You can be Hindu and become a Mohammedan, you can be Mahavadan and become a Christian. You can change your faith. But Krishna consciousness, there are eternal religious principles, eternal spiritual principles, which don't change. They never change. Whether you believe in them or don't believe in them, they're their principles that they don't change. They're not dependent upon someone's faith. Just like Krishna said in the Bhagavad Gita, everyone goes from youth to, from childhood to youth to old age. When Prabhupada was speaking, he said that is this being spoken only for Hindus? Only the Hindus are going from childhood to youth to old age? Everyone goes from childhood to youth to old age, human beings, dogs, cats, cows, whatever. The Krishna was speaking for everyone. Wasn't speaking for just one sect. Was it like Martin Luther or something, or whatever, Luther? speaking for the Lutherans, or the Pope speaking for the Roman Catholics. He was speaking for everyone. This is the fact of life. You go from childhood to youth to old age. You change your body. At time of death, you also change your body. He's simply speaking spiritual, scientific facts. So basically, Krishna consciousness is not the ordinary type of religion. It's a science of spiritual realization. It's the postgraduate of all the religions, including Hinduism and including any other religion. These are principles that without changing your own faith, if you notice your faith, your understanding will simply be enhanced. It will be edified. Well, we take it from God's own mouth. I didn't say that. Did I say This is postgraduate. This is something that, that no matter what faith a person has, that the principles of Krishna Kadi, some of them are already existing in certain groups. Absolute truth, but just with the, say, the impersonal aspect. Or with the localized aspect in the heart. But only Bhakti Yoga is addressing all these things. 
So when Arjuna, the person to whom the Gita, Bhagavad Gita was spoken to, he was offered all the various systems of yoga. So he said, I'm confused. Which yoga, or you say all the yogas are leading to the absolute truth, but which of the yogas is more, is, is, is uh, better? Which is, so then Krishna said, well, this other form of yoga, Hatha yoga, the Sangha yoga, Kriya yoga, these things, if you do them, we uh, are going to encounter a lot of difficulties, but in the end you can come to me, but you'll be encounter a lot of difficulties. Those who want to achieve the impersonal realization, they have to go through a lot of difficulties. Relatively speaking, those who come to my personal aspect with them is very easy. And then he said that of all the forms of yoga, the personal form of yoga, in my opinion, those yogis are the most intimately connected with themselves. Savai, over all the others, yukta means to be in union, or to be connected. Yukta tama, tama means the most, most intimate yukta tama, mata means my opinion. The Krishna is saying, in my opinion, the bhakti yoga is the most intimately connected to But definitely all the yogis are trying to achieve the absolute truth, and they should be, if they are following the original purpose of the yoga system. Of course, nowadays many people do say hatha yoga, they do it more for health, for posture, for vitality, or for concentration, or for so many other reasons. They may not even know about an absolute truth. They're just doing it for exercise. There may be other forms of yoga. See, where a person just takes some preliminary process in a chain of yoga processes and just does one for just some material reason. But the actual goal, like Hatha Yoga is part of the Asanga Yoga, Eightfold Yoga, Mystic Yoga system, which is to lead one to realization of the super soul in the heart. It's how to sit down so one can, by being in good calm and having control of the body, can sit and meditate for a long period of time, and then gradually control the body and the mind, step by step, until one can realize the absolute truth. That's the ultimate goal. Okay, the lay people, they just, they just want to have a good tone in their body, and they don't go beyond that. That that's not really the fault of the yoga, that just happens to be the
So those other forms of yoga, just like one first would have to learn how to do the postures, learn how to sit, then then you got to sit down and then practice meditating, do the breathing exercises, and gradually come into a trance. When you're into a trance, then you can start to get into spiritual life. So before a person gets into trance, it may take them years. And to get into a deep trance, or a considerable amount of time, but comparatively, say, even without, without doing any sitting practice, if one can study Krishna and concentrate and listen very carefully, one can go into these uh, trance in a very short amount of time, and, get, and be meditating immediately on the absolute truth, through mantra. And get the full benefit, which for the other way would take, uh, before one could even approach that type of meditation, would take a long time. Um, so, samadhi. Yes? Samadhi is the same. Samadhi means the trance and meditation on the absolute. The difference is that their samadhi may be the time to meditate on the absolute truth in an impersonal aspect. Well, the, the, it is very difficult to conceive of something or to meditate on something which has no form, no quality, no just no personality and so on. So then uh, it's relatively easier to meditate on the personality of God, the activities, the form. So the impersonalists, they try to say, well, that's material. It's not material. It just happens. That's their misconception. If they take anything which wants to be material, but there's a type of spiritual form also. This material world is like a reflection. In the Bhagavad Gita, it says that the whole material world is a reflection from the spiritual world. This is type of a three-dimensional reflection from the fourth-dimensional world. In the fourth-dimensional world, there is impersonal existence, and there's also a type of spiritual personal existence which doesn't have the inebriates of the material world. So someone who's only going up to the impersonal aspect wouldn't know about the personal aspect. There's a more subtle existence. But their realization is spiritual. They accept it as transcendental. But it's very difficult. It's very time consuming. It's very tedious. If they achieve perfection, well, then they're they're safe from reincarnation. But the danger is that if they don't completely get to the point of uh, of perfection, then again they're going to have to come back and take another reincarnation, and they might lose a lot of ground. Or in the process of Krishna consciousness, because already. This form of meditating on mantras is a spiritual process. You are meditating on the spiritual truth in the form of sound vibration. Spiritual sound vibration. So one's already getting spiritual uh, advancement or spiritual credit. And even if one was incomplete and had to again take another birth, one would begin from where you left off. Why do you think my sister, uh, that was a 
Can there be a spiritual experience that is based upon simply the body and the mind? The may see some type of experience, but it won't be spiritual unless it's in relation to the spirit. Just like we have the picture in the Bhagavad Gita of man jogging through time. He is moving, but the soul's not changing. The consciousness position isn't changing, whether you're jogging or sitting or sleeping, or the consciousness is there as it is. Unless when something's doing, a person is doing something on the level of consciousness, on the level of the spirit, there's, not, there's no question that it's spiritual experience. Simply by manipulating the body, there's not going to be a spiritual experience. There has to be a concentration. Then you could have a spiritual experience. Because your consciousness is fixed on the spirit. But if you're running in every step, you're just thinking about your... You're not... You're thinking of your lung system. You can come into a certain type of material realization. If you get into enough of a trance, you can realize some of the subtle existences of the Zen Buddhist Buddhist type of meditation. But there is not a spiritual realization. They're realizing more subtle levels of material existence, which normally a person is not aware of. There are subtle existence, subtle levels of awareness in the material world, which they can become aware of. But the, the basic thing to know a person having a spiritual experience is just like the Dhammada asked him, what is your concept? When you said this prayer, what did you think? Is according to the definitions given in the Bhagavad Gita, it's very clear what is spirit and what is matter. But if the person's concepts are material, then their experience must have also been material. And if their concepts are spiritual and if their process is connected with uh, spiritual energy, then they're going to have a spiritual. Then it's possible they can have a spiritual experience, not otherwise. So sometimes superficially you can't, it's hard to say, just like that poem that we read, then Siddhamada said, what's your idea? If he might, because in the same poem he could have different ideas. The words are one, but he may have had an idea which was spiritual, but in fact his idea was material and he was exposed. It's kind of like the man, the one guru was uh, in a class and there was a lady in the front and every time he was speaking, the lady was crying. 
And he thought that this lady is having a spiritual experience. And I want to meet her. And after the class, he asked her that, uh, what type of experience are you having? Why is it that you're crying? And the lady said that every word you're speaking, your little beard is moving, and I'm remembering my little goat that just died last week, you lady crying. <laughs> so he was saying exalted things, but she was just thinking that he looked like my goat, and every time we would have a goat that died, you know, and every time we see the guru, that little beard, you know, talking, then uh, he, she would start to cry. He thought that, oh, she's having a spiritual experience. And you have to see, sometimes you have to ask it. Ask it. But the basic gauge, he said, what is their concept? That the direction is actually spiritual. If they don't have any spiritual understanding, they don't know anything, so how can they have a spiritual experience? Krishna knows all languages. He can speak in every tongue. So some preachers can just speak in different languages. The mystic tongue. The material tongue. Very small minority. Even like in South America, 
everybody's Roman Catholic and, and uh, Brazil, 80% of the people believe in reincarnation. North America, they get a call, 30% believe in reincarnation. I really Certainly, it would be increasing in France, it's 50 to 60 percent. In India, 10 percent. At least, uh, all of the Vedic cultures. In, uh, Indo-China, 100%. People fear the unknown, they fear what they don't understand. It makes it easier to try to understand. It's more difficult than just to reject it. It's easy way out. They're afraid that if this in fact is true, then it brings into question all the ideas and it establishes Christian conscience right off the bat. But there's nothing I do there. So it's easier rather than discuss it. Because they don't have any way to refute it. They just say, well, we don't believe in it. Easy way out. So it's like God ages or something. Like, listen. Truth is, you forget sometimes. So it's to burn people down to things. Can't get away from this. Is that the way? There's nowhere in the Bible that says there is no such thing as reincarnation. That's just an interpretation. Because you do uh, good activities, you get good results. You sow, so shall you sow, so shall you reap. Lost time. You need to go to heaven and heaven. They just simplify it. It's a one-time thing. It's like you simplify something for children. Like a little easy for them to understand. Why would the Christian only do one thing? All or nothing. And how can we call them all merciful if you just did this one lifetime? If you blow it in that lifetime, it's going to burn forever. Even if you have desire, you can continue to serve. That's what that verse is saying. If you have all desires, desire for liberation or no desire. It says no desire. Akama, Sabakama, Moksha Kama, Dharvishya, Braina, Moksha Jogena, Jivyaji, Kirishan, Param. The Krishna knows what a person is desiring and when the person is worshipping Krishna, and Krishna gives him his desire. So if you have a desire in your mind, then you get that. It's dangerous. Once you get it, it's gone. Did I want this? I should have asked you. I have no desire. 
no material desires, no spiritual desires. Yuga Maharaj. And if he saw Krishna, then uh, Krishna said that he had a desire to be a king, Sanat so a king for thirty six thousand years previously. And Yuga uh, said that I don't want that anymore. Now that I see you and I see the beauty and the power and the glory, I'd like to simply be with you. I don't need it. I'm afraid I may forget you. I may forget what I'm realizing today. He said, don't worry. I'll protect you so you don't forget me. So then a devotee gets an opportunity to work off whatever material desires are there. Just like there was the Kailama Uni, the father, the husband of Devaluki. He had a desire, a material desire. He was very austere. So then uh, Krishna gave him a wife. Then he lived with her in a very opulent way for a short time, for some time. And then after experiencing what he had to experience, then uh, then he, uh, the thing was that he had to give her a son. So once she got the son, then he left and became a completely now. Sometimes a person might have some desire, just can't, theoretically can't forget about it. And even then, one should just concentrate on practicing, practicing Krishna consciousness. And in due course, Krishna will give the facility to satisfy that desire in such a way that one will completely be able to experience where that activity is and where it's at, where it's situated, what its actual value is. And one will, that desire will be completely satisfied, completely So that you don't have to desire it again. But Krishna does it by his own sublime way. If a person himself thinks how to go about satisfying that desire, he may do it piecemeal. Just like someone thinks, well, if I had a hundred dollars, I'd be happy. If it's a hundred dollars, it's not enough. I need a thousand dollars. If a thousand dollars, a thousand dollars isn't enough. I need actually ten thousand. I need ten thousand. I need a hundred thousand. I need a million. I need two million, right? So then, Krishna, you know, the person is coming back again and again and again. But Krishna does it such a way that the person right off the bat gets that amount which, as an example, which they need to experience to get that desire satisfied. Say they're just in one group. So it might be a certain combination of events and maturing of that devotion. After Juga ruled as a king and everything, he just lost his taste for those things and became completely absorbed in Krishna But while, while doing that, he was able to, he kept up with his service to Krishna, rule the kingdom as a devotee of Krishna. It's not a contradiction. Person 
is recommended not to have any desires, but if you have a desire for liberation or a desire for material happiness, still you can feel Krishna. Someone might think, well, I have some desire, so how can I feel Krishna? But for that reason, that verse is given just to show it. You know, even you have a desire, you should keep it. Whether you have all desires, or whether you have no desire, whether you have a desire to stop witness the power of liberation. You should still serve Krishna. Without any condition, don't make us think that I'll serve and give me this. You don't have to say anything, Krishna already knows what you have in your mind. Better than, better than the person himself knows. It doesn't uh, necessarily supply a dazzle on anyone. Because again, our desires may be different. But we have a desire which fits into a certain broad category. It's like desire for money. You may be desiring it one thousand. You know, if you get one thousand, you may be desiring a particular category of sense gratification, a particular area. And you may have some idea of how, within that particular activity, you can be happy. But there's no way to that that one activity. So I have to talk the same. The way Krishna does it is devotee. 